Iowa everywhere. John Miller, Chris Williams, from the Channel Seed Studios, it's Miller and Williams, presented by Wild Rose Casino and Hotel. Three locations in Iowa, three times the fun. You'd rather be here. This is Iowa Everywhere. What's going on? Welcome to Miller and Williams. I got the wrong thing. This is not firmly entrenched. It's Miller and Williams, if you're watching on YouTube. There we go. Uh, my no name is Chris Williams. Knows. Yeah, nobody will notice. I just totally, there's an entire podcast audience of 10,000 people that don't even know what I'm talking about right now. This is Amateur Hour. I'm Chris Williams, joined as always by John Miller. Shout out to our friends at Wild Rose Casino and Hotel. They are the title sponsor of Miller Williams, Miller Williams, Jefferson, Emmitsburg, Clinton. And I want to tell you about the fact that the new Wild Club Wild members can earn up to $100 in free play in their first 30 days. You can sign up for 123Play. See Club Wild for details. John is in uh, Colorado. Yeah, Dylan, Colorado. I was out looking at the mountains a little bit this morning and, uh, you know, trying to deal with all the dryness. It's kind of a, a, a mixed bag, but we wanted to come out here and check out the uh, aspens changing leaves. We did that back, I think, in 2018 or 2017. It was great. So we love Colorado. I can imagine uh, spending a few months out here in the summers in the future. It's just my favorite place. It's chill. Super chill, dude. Super chill. Uh, may or may not have walked into a dispensary last night and they were growing their own plants and there might have been 20 in there. It was epic. I haven't seen a grow room like that since Carbondale, Illinois, circa 1992 in the basement of a buddy's house. <laughs> it's super chill out here, man. Boy, I can only imagine those old John Miller Carbondale stories. Oh, I, I, I was more into the to the drink than the I just had a lot of friends that were into the weed. And there was one time and this was not on the show rundown. This friend's name truly was Johnny. I'm not going to tell you his last name. I don't even know if he's alive. Uh, I'll tell you the end of the story when we get here. Anyway, he was growing in his basement. All right. And he had the reflective stuff on the wall. He had the, the, the kind of lights that you need, the potassium light bulbs. He had watering. It was an, it was an epic grow room. Dude was a dealer down in Carbondale. Well, all of a sudden, a few months later, just random day near the end of the school year, get a knock on the door, really aggressive knock on the door and open it. It's Johnny and he's in a sweat. He's like, we got, we got to hide this. We got to hide this big fish, little fish, big fish, little fish. Like, what are you talking about? Big fish, little fish. He's like, one of my guys who sells for me got caught and he turned on me and he let me know in advance. So he grabbed all of his gear out of his basement of his house, threw it into the back of his beat up truck. We're talking lights. We're talking every plant, everything he had that was involved in growing drugs. He and a buddy drove out to the middle of uh, nowhere, Lake Carbondale or whatever the hell it is down there on a bridge. Cars going by and they didn't care. They were throwing everything out of the back of the truck over into the lake, into the bottom of the lake. Dude never got caught. And I said, you know what, guys? I'm not living with you next year. I'm not living with this. And I didn't. I lived with other people. It was just freaked me out too much. Anyway, a few years later, I'd say several years later, let's go back to 1998. I go meet my one buddy, um, and Johnny happened to show up while I was up there, totally random. He lived in Owatonna, Minnesota. I was in Kansas City. Johnny shows up there. from – yeah, there. Johnny shows up from Chicago, and it was really awkward. He'd been doing some hard drugs and just wasn't right. Last we knew, Johnny was arrested in Mexico and serving times in a Mexican prison for trying to take drugs across the border. Okay. My guess is uh, Johnny's uh, – he's no longer in the league. That'd be my guess. Carbondale was wild, dude. Miller and Williams. You never know where you're going to go. That's it. <laughs> there you go. There's the catchphrase. <laughs> we need to incorporate that. In, you, you never know you where you're going to go. go all over. You and Hassel go all over. I love it. I've told you. That's my favorite part of your guys' show. <laughs> it's when it's just these unintended detours into non-sports-related things. I love that. Hassel's a... Um, he is an interesting guy. It's funny too because he's super weird, like in like this. But then all my like friends think that I'm like the weirdest human on the planet. 
Like everyone, everyone has their own eccentricities. Would that be what we'd like to call it? We, we yeah. all have our things that make us fairly unique. And for some people, we are not their cup of tea. No. And that's okay. Because there yeah. are some people that are not my cup. There's people that I like that no one else I know likes. But I just like, like them because the, they're brash, they're bold. The things in life that I'm truly passionate about, other than like family and all that, we know that. But it's pro wrestling, aliens, and the afterlife. Like, those are the things that I'd like to talk about the most. And Tupac, the Tupac and Biggie murders. Okay. I've been obsessed you, you, with you, for like 20 years. You just and, set up a segue. I was going to go to Afterlife and Aliens, but let's go to Tupac. Well, so I'm back home last week, uh, homecoming in Clorinda. My mom and dad were the Grand Marshals. Lovely couple. Your mom and dad were the Grand Marshals of the Clorinda homecoming? Yeah. How does that happen? I mean, how does that? It's a big deal. Mom well, and dad are big How are your mom and dad the Grand Marshals? Because they've been there forever. They've never left. They're both graduates. You know, they've become. What do you mean? How does it happen? I don't, I'm I'm fascinated that you don't understand how this works. I'm guessing they're one of hundreds of people that dated in high school and never left Clorinda and yeah, are still but, there. I mean, there's not that many people. There's only like four thousand people in the whole town. I mean, I was back in West Branch last week watching my Bears beat uh, highly ranked Regina, which was one of my favorite sports moments ever. Regina, because. Uh, because my one of my childhood friends is coaching this year after Butch passed away, and um, so you know, I look around. I was talking to people, saying hi. Pretty much half of the people that I grew up with live in that town still. Oh yeah, and never left. So I just didn't know if they got to be the Grand Marshals because they were you know your parents because of the celebrity that you are, and they were learners trying <laughs> to get a little pain and play. Clarinda was trying to get a little, you know, financial pop off the notoriety of one of their favorite sons. So, no, man, your parents. my dad, it's funny. He's the most popular guy in town. He drove the bus for like 15 years. He, okay. he like won like booster of the year for the booster club a couple years back. He goes to every sporting event. He just is like, he's mowed everybody's lawn. He's scooped every driveway. He, whenever it happens, and hopefully it's a really long time from now, he'll have one of the biggest funerals in, in history. Everybody well, loves cool. him. That's the, awesome. The high school so, kids, when they were doing the coronation thing, they were all chanting Mike. That's like awesome. They just, everybody loves the guy. So he's not, he's not living, like, he's not trading off of your fame, is what you're saying. He's no, made his anything, own it's, he's it's cl- the other way. He's Clorinda famous. He's Clorinda famous. Oh, he's the man. He's the man in those parts. All right, good enough. Good enough. Anyways, so I'm there at this Clorinda homecoming parade, and my phone starts blowing up. And I'm getting texts from people I haven't heard from in 10 years with this news that Keefe D has been arrested for the Tupac murders. Not murders, murder from 1996. This is something that I've read multiple books about. I've watched every documentary. I've watched every movie on the um, killings of Biggie Smalls and Tupac. And I had like this really weird, and this is where we're going to get like philosophical. So like he hasn't been proven guilty yet. Keefe D is, uh, he's a guy who, if you've, if you've looked into this over the years, like he's kind of the guy who we all thought like, okay, if, if it's not somebody totally unknown, like we think it's this guy. He's one of Puffy's guys. Yeah. yeah, like we, we a lot of a lot of arrows were pointing at Keefe D, we'll put it that way. But they could never prove it. Well, and even now, like the proof is not that he killed Pac, but that he was in the car and that it was his gun and that he told whoever to do it. And this guy, so he did the little OJ thing where he wrote a book in 2019 and basically admitted that he was in the car thinking that they wouldn't come after him and all this stuff. And, and now here he is getting arrested. Here's where I want to take it with you. So I'm fascinated by the trial. If I'm 
if I'm if I'm Diddy right now, I'm a little bit nervous. What's going to come out in this trial? You know, did he order the hit? I don't know. We'll find out. Take yourself back to 96, man. Troublesome 96. There was a part of me while I was exhilarated that this was happening. And it's like, oh my God, this huge chapter in my life of all the hours I've spent thinking about this. Where now it's like, oh, that's it? It was Keefy D all along? It wasn't the ending you thought? It was like a bad Scooby-Doo episode. They took the mask off. It's like, of course, it's Keefy D. Well, and it's I would like got away to me, with it too if it wasn't for my dumbass mouth. It's kind of like to me too with like the aliens, right? Like now it seems like every other day you've got some government agencies. But yeah, we got video and we can't explain it. You know, sure, that thing is spinning around and like... You know, it's not even physically possible. We don't have the technology for this thing to act that way. Um, so we, we all, I think if you have an open mind, realize that they're here in some capacity. If you have an open mind. And like, I'm less interested in it now that it's like become a reality. So like Keefy D going to the can in LA or in Vegas last week, it was kind of like, oh, wait a minute. So there's no, there's no conspiracy now. There's no. There's no mystery behind this. And while I'm still enthralled by it, it's at a different, it's like it's let me down because now the mystery mm. is solved. Does that make what sense? Did you, what, yeah, yeah, it does. What did you want it to be? I don't know. I don't know. I like thinking and about a, it. Aliens killed Tupac? That would have been cool. <laughs> no, I don't. There wasn't like a wish like, oh, I hope it was this group that killed Tupac. But it was kind of like, like if well, you're the prince of the parlay. Well, let me put it in your something that you would understand. If if we were to have, if Circo were to have power ratings on likelihood of who killed Tupac, Keefe D would be like minus four hundred, the favorite in the clubhouse. Mm, okay. Okay. Yep. So it's kind of like, uh, man, I was kind of hoping for a plus one twenty five. Like this guy come out of nowhere. Let's hit the parlay. Yeah. Like right? just oh. out of nowhere. Oh my gosh, it's Chris Rock. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've just, my point is, I've spent so much brain power on this over the years. I've read all these books and it's like, oh, it was Keefy D all along. Like, I waste my time for. Like, right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I so I can see that from the wasted time. I, I, on the other hand, did not spend as much time as you did trying to get to the bottom of this, doing my own research and having my own investigation the way that you've done. And uh, I, I can honestly say, I think I've spent zero minutes of time. Um, reading anything or watching oh, anything about who killed Tupac. Now that said, so it was 1996, as you say. I was really, really into rap and early stage hip hop in the 80s when it kind of really blew up. Rap kind of got going in the New York. I think I kind of think mostly it generated out of New York in the 1970s, mid to late 1970s. That's where it started, and then it spread west. Like correct, Atlanta had correct. a scene, but when all those guys every, every, like it. Yeah, there's a really good documentary on um, Netflix for those interested in the history of hip-hop. And it's good. I love it. I listened to a great podcast a few years ago driving back from um, Colorado, uh, coincidentally, and um, it was it was awesome. You know, the Sugar Hill Gang, they weren't the first, but they had the first kind of breakout hit. Run DMC was present in the background. You know, so many of these just DJs that I grew up listening to in the 80s in Iowa, which is weird. And then I moved to outside Peoria, Illinois, and kind of brought, you know, brought that with me. My friends had never heard it. So then, you know, NWA, Easy E, Beastie Boys, uh, Dr. Dre and the Chronic. That was what, like 91, 92, something like that. And then I just kind of like didn't start listening to new acts. I, I was familiar with Tupac. I've listened to him far more later in life than I did at that time. So I wasn't as entranced as you were, but that was right in your childhood wheelhouse. I mean, that was a big deal. He was ever present. He was huge. Uh, at that time. So, but, you know, again, you, this Keefe D guy, this guy's been bouncing in and out of the lockup for most all of his life, correct? Yeah, I mean, he's a crip. He's a known crip. He's big in that right. world. Yeah, correct. Yeah, like, he's, there's books about him. He's he's a legendary, read, like, real gangster he's an OG. in the United States. I mean, literally, original gangster. He's one of and the, the 1970s and, the, and like, the theory and always was, and there's really not proof of this, but this is why I think this trial will be interesting. 
because the theory always right you had puff daddy like sean combs in the background with biggie smalls and then you had suge knight who like there was also a hit on that night but he didn't get killed with tupac he was in the car with tupac and you know like suge knight had all this influence on the bloods and allegedly puffy had it on these crips and i don't really ever think puffy was a like a gangbanger, but he had real influence being that East coast, you know what I mean? Like, and he had a ton of money and Biggie was mm-hmm. most certainly involved in the gangs. So you, it, it, it's just, it's so fascinating to me, John, like how, and it's really, really sad. And this is what's always, cause I love hip hop. People think that I'm this like redneck, which I am. But I love hip hop. Like it, high school, Chris, if you would have walked into my room, there's posters of Pac, DMX, Biggie Smalls. Like that was my, because yeah, like, and you get it being small town Iowa, you kind of always want to be what you're not when you're a kid. You want to like, sh- you want to something I, I was, different. So there's another world yeah. out there, you know? Yeah. But then when I got to college and out of college, it was kind of like you were, you can, you can take the boy out of Southwest Iowa, but you can't take Southwest Iowa out of the boy type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we just had these two legendary, like it, my my old co-host and good friend Ross Peterson always likes to say, if Biggie or Pac wouldn't have been killed, they'd be playing on the free stage at Eastside Night because he thinks that their brand is like higher because they were murdered at such a young age. I totally disagree. Uh, these guys Pac. were these guys were playing chess and everybody else was playing checkers in the rap game. In my opinion, like, I mean, you listen to this crap out there now, it's just terrible. Even the other guys in like the early two thousands that were really big, were they talented MCs? Absolutely. Were they um, inspiring generations? Absolutely not. And that's what Biggie and Tupac did. And they got caught up in this like deal that, did it start with them? Yes. But then these like, giant guys with egos in the background essentially murdered both of them is how I look at it. That's yeah. I mean, that's, that's what the Occam's razor would have said. That's what it turned out to be. I can see why you're quasi disappointed in that, but you know, you brought up the, the stuff today. So my, I got a 14 year old and we have a deal. Like when I'm driving her all around Kansas city on the way to the destination, I'm the DJ on the way home from the destination. I let her be the DJ. And it's just fair, even though, you know, I could probably just say this is everybody knows the driver is the DJ. But anyway, so she starts playing some of her stuff and she knows that there's one artist from today who's immensely popular that I cannot stand that. I, I mean, he's not talentless. I just it's like mumble rap and it's mm. horrible. And I think that what they're on my list of most overrated, highly successful music acts of all time up there with Aerosmith and Bob Dylan. And that is Drake. I think Drake sucks. Just uh, I can't understand Drake. And listen, I'm coming like at this from, from from a standpoint of I can still recite 70 percent of all NWA and Easy e lyrics. Still listen to it. Still listen to the Beastie Boys. Um, you know, I've got a workout playlist that has you know tons of Beastie Boys on it. I still listen to LA Dream Team. I mean, I still listen. So I'm not coming at the genre. I'm coming at this current iteration of like mumble rap that it's like, no, it freaking sucks. That's so why it's the late nineties. Yeah, no, it's it's I, I see it. And I've got an old school hip hop playlist that has like Apache, DMC, um Fat Five Freddy, uh, Fast Five Freddy. Um, so many of the old DJs, uh, schoolie D I think I might've said that anyway, that's what I like. This new did stuff, you watch, I sound like old man, uh, who cares? Did you watch the NWA movie? I right haven't seen of, that yet. Oh, John, I want to see that. I hey. don't know why it's taken. It took me four years to no. watch between tonight. Movie two. You and Andrea sit down and watch that movie. I it's will. Pow- she will not. It's powerful. Like it's a powerful movie. Like, yeah. They were trailblazers, man. Man, I mean, I'm I'm turning into you. You know what I'm reading right now? Welcome to the jungle, baby. I mean, you're turning into me. What what kind of backhanded wrong with me? Because you like so. The reason I say that's a powerful movie is because guys who grew up like us can't comprehend 
what growing up like those guys was oh, and God, what no. made them be out there saying, fuck the police, like that they got right. all this heat for. Right. Right. Which. So I'm reading a book right now. It's on the Comanche Indians. Do you know anything about the Comanches? I don't. Uh, are they were they from the Southwest? Um, they were from Texas and a little bit north. They're the most powerful Indian tribe in the history of North America. Okay. So the, like in, in a cage match against the Apaches, Comanches win yeah, yeah. hands down. Uh, if if the Comanches are Hulk Hogan, you know, the Apaches are Disco Inferno. Oh, geez. Okay. It was a mismatch we're talking about. So the Comanches were the first Indian tribe to really adopt horseback and they were brilliant horse people. They okay. not only could ride better than anyone else, but they could breed them. They could, they could almost like communicate with horses. It was a weird, okay. they were just so much better than any of the white settlers, any of the Spanish, like they were any of the Apaches. Like, well, the, they were, yeah, they, they were one with nature, their entire, if you want to call it spiritual, um, belief system was all in and through nature. And it's a beautiful belief system. So I was thinking about this last night because I'm reading this book, Empire of the Summer Moon, S.C. Gwynn, uh, same guy. The reason I'm reading it is because he's the same guy who wrote the piece, the book about Hal Mummy and Mike Leach and uh, yeah. Iowa Wesleyan football. And Hal Mummy told me to read it. So I'm reading it. If Hal says to do something, you do it. Yeah, you do whatever the hell Hal says. Yep. And I was so, and I was thinking about this last, like they were very, they were horrible. Like the, the, um, this is where like the term savages came from. Like, was this type of hostile, like not only would they, um, you know, kill the white man, but they would torture them in like what unspeakable ways. And I was reading in this book last night and, and it kind of compares to this, this gangster rap war from the nineties where, like history remembers the Comanches as these warlike people, but like in their, they, they didn't see anything that they did as evil. It was just the way of life. Like Indian life on the prairie before we all got there, this is just what they did. They would cut out your, they would cut off your penis and put it in your beheaded, you know, corpse's mouth. Like that's yeah. just what they did. Like they they didn't they didn't see it as evil because they thought, well, if we do something that they can do that to us, that it's fair game and stuff like that. And I, well, yeah. And <laughs> where are we going with this? I'm making a point, and it's all about how our world is so quick to judgment on everything. Where it's just like there's so many people that have judgments on other people when they haven't like lived in their shoes, and there's a reason why most people think the way that they think and. I don't know. We, we were talking about the NWA movie and that was an uh, Chris Williams. 10 years ago, if you were chanting, fuck the police, I would have been like flabbergasted by it. Oh my God. Like right. now, right. like after studying some of this stuff, it's like, okay, like me personally, I wouldn't do that, but I understand why that guy in that era right. was doing it. Absolutely. 110%. I mean, we all lived through the George Floyd um, situation of a few years ago. We, you know, Brianna Taylor, we, you know, we have no, you and I have no idea what it's like to live and come up with daily trauma, daily trauma, uh, food insecurities, things of that nature that a lot of people in this country deal with. And we don't know what it's like to have and live in this country with black skin. We just don't, we never will. So yeah, man, I'm okay. I'm going to watch that on this, on this vacation. You've talked me into it. Not that I needed to, I just needed a reminder that it was still there, but man, I'm not going to go into this today, but I have a lot of comp, a lot of thoughts on the Comanches and their, and their actions and why they did that to the white man. And, you know, Andrew and I were talking about this driving through the mountains. Uh, Are you yeah, serious? We always, yeah, we no. were talking about, no, not the Comanches cutting off penises, <laughs> put them in say. decapitated corpses' heads. That was not on the, on the playlist conversation but i'll bring it up to her today um but no just the the native cultures every time i'm in the mountains every time i go across the prairies i look around and i like i can visualize like what it was native native american campsites like i'll look at like oh that would have been the perfect place for a native american campsite 
um, and I see these mountains and I, and you know, w- what spawned our topic of conversation was Andrea showed me a side-by-side picture of Mount Rushmore in South Dakota, as we know it today and what it was before it was Mount Rushmore and what it was before it was Mount Rushmore was an incredibly sacred, sacred place to some native American tribes. It was considered a holy of holies. It was their, like, was it called the seven grandmothers or something like that, where you could see kind of the rocks and, you know, kind of look like people personifications, not to the level that, you know, we know today, but American, you know, American culture at that time, they, they didn't give a shit. Like you're, you're savages, you're less than. We learn about and celebrate Custard's last stand when we were even kids, when I was a kid growing up. And we learn about, these guys were fuckheads. Mm-hmm. They were murderous. They were rapists. Uh, not talking about the natives. Talking about the the the, the white American. Really, they yeah, all every were. time, like they everybody. All, yeah, yeah. So I can imagine wanting to get a little payback for basically destroying the entirety of my societal culture, my spiritual culture, everything. Yeah, I might uh, take out the machete and. Uh, what lop off somebody's <laughs> dome and and dong and uh, put the two together? We're gonna move on. But the the last point I would make the staggering statistic that I stumbled upon it was between like eighteen sixty eight and eighteen eighty one, I believe. And the what did they call it? Comanche area is where like the Comanches roamed. Mm-hmm. They're a nomadic. They're a nomadic tribe. Between that time and 13 years, white settlers allegedly killed 33 million buffalo. Mm-hmm. Think about that. And yeah. like, so then like, you, you know, you put yourself in their shoes. It's like, okay, these people have just shown up and they're killing, they're killing all of our food. Like, and they, and they're not eating all that buffalo. They're using it for like hides and for, you know, the fur and, and all that stuff. It, it's just staggering. Anyways, we've it's totally yeah. Th- 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 this this country was founded on uh, human atrocities that are unspeakable. Um, yeah, we'll do. How about we do a Miller and Williams podcast uh, or a, a Chris Williams show podcast someday where we just talk about these things? <laughs> that sounds great. Um, Iowa Speedway is getting a NASCAR race. I wanted to hit on that, and then we're going to talk about Iowa the rest of the way. Um. Because I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps changing my tune after I've dug a little deeper into this Hawkeye team. Yeah, really good uh, interview with Scott Docterman, by the way, on the CW Pod this week. If you if you're a Hawkeye fan and want a good, because uh, I guess we can start here, John. Like my my whole thing with Iowa is like they were in a weird spot even with McNamara. Now without him, it makes it even. You know, this drive for three twenty five is almost impossible now. Like you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. Chris and I talked on Monday, and he thinks that they'll win nine or ten games the rest of the way. I don't know if they will. I just I've I've been di- diving into pro football focus and more of some analytical stuff. Their defense is really good. It's not great. Mm-hmm. Their speed special teams is really good. They're not great. If you look back to how Iowa won ten and nine games the last couple of years, you know, they relied so much on special team scores, which they got against Michigan State, right? They got a they they got all those things. Uh I don't think that this Deacon Hill and maybe I'll end up to be wrong, but I I, I think that it's very Spencer Petrusy from what I can gather. I don't think he's gonna be able to do much better than what Petrus was doing in this scheme. Um and the thing that's really come to me. The last uh, after watching that tape back against Michigan State and really oh, studying that, you. I don't know how much of it is their offensive line, and how much of it is just that every time Iowa lines up, the defense knows what they're doing. I don't know if I can just be like, "Oh, well, these players aren't any good," and and my whole thing is now you've you've essentially eliminated. You know the accurate passing game. Deacon Hill is going to be able to go out there and hit a receiver every now and then. Not, he's not terrible. We saw him do it on Saturday night. Right. But over the next like two months, like I I don't know. I think they may be in trouble. I think this might be a seven win team. 
as opposed to a 10 win team or a nine win team. Right. What do you think about all right. that? I'm not rooting for that. I don't want Iowa to lose another game, but if it turns out that they are a seven win team, I'm also not going to be upset by it because it's almost like for this schedule, seven wins is bottom for this schedule. Seven wins is like four or five wins in another year. And it is absolutely the opposite of what an endorsement would be of Iowa's offensive scheme. I think we have seen improvement this year in the offensive line. I think we've seen some changes in Iowa's uh, thinking schematically. They don't have the type of players they've said necessarily to where they haven't said it directly, but I think they've said it indirectly to where the, their traditional zone blocking scheme uh, is going to work all that well. But the reality of the situation is, is it, for Iowa's zone blocking scheme to really work well in this day and age, and they've been doing it for so long, they need an elite offensive line just to have better than average results. Because in the, in the outside zone scheme they have, when other teams see it, Iowa State included, Wisconsin kind of started leading the way Iowa State glommed onto it really well, as, uh, really quickly too. When Iowa's offensive line goes outside zone, that means the entire line after snap is moving in concert laterally mm -hmm. one way or the other. Okay, The defenses they played against have learned how to attack that. The defensive linemen and linebackers, they follow the flow. They shadow it. They go parallel. So if Iowa goes left, the defense goes right, and that means they're paralleling. So as the defense is facing the offense, they go right, the offense left. So they're paralleling, and they're coming in at 45-degree angles. And that is creating penetration. And that and the linebackers coming in at those 45-degree angles relative to the flow of the line, it cuts off the cutback lanes that zone schemes showed so often when Terrell Davis was doing it with Shanahan in Denver. And that was kind of really – the I wouldn't know wouldn't say it was the genesis of these of the zone scheme, but that was the first time that the zone scheme was on a big stage, and you know Denver won some Super Bowl won a Super Bowl with that, and Iowa had some really good success with it too, interspersed early on, and then a little bit later on. But it's been a long time since Iowa's been a good running team, and I think it's schematic. Also, Iowa's route trees. You've heard me. I mean, I've been talking about their their route trees for well over a decade. And this last week, you saw with, uh, you know, they're not the skid loaders in at quarterback. Iowa did some more boot action that they weren't really wanting to do with Cade McNamara because of his quad injury. And I tweeted, I'm like, oh, same old, same old three route route tree, same old three receiver route tree. And then one of the commentators said, oh, this is another three route play. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. Two of those three routes on the boot action are within the same 10 yards of one another, and there's three and four defenders there. And the guy who's dragging across middle is picked up by the deep safety almost every time. These are the things that teams, when you go to play Iowa, this is what you prepare for because you know this is their bread and butter. And not having it with McNamara actually is probably worse. McNamara wasn't at full strength. He was maybe 60 or 70%. His completion percentage sucked. This scheme is dead and done, and if they do only win seven games, maybe that accelerates the change. But to the thought of them only winning six, seven games, you go through the schedule. Are we going to give them a guaranteed dub this weekend against Purdue? Well, I'm really no. glad that Jeff Brom is not there. Well, I, but I, I watched that game too, and I don't know what Illinois is. To me, they may be the most disappointing team in the Big Ten Agreed. thus far. But it's still a Brett Bielema defense. Like in Illinois, Purdue looked good. Yeah. They have so, like a five star quarterback in Hudson Carr. Like that's the one thing, like I think that everybody is underestimated about Purdue. Like I know they got a young, unproven coach and everything. Hudson Card is good. Like he's a good quarterback. Now it's everything else around him, but they're considerably better than this Michigan State team that almost beat Iowa last week. Right. And here and the and here's the difference is Purdue is really comfortable putting deposits in the bank on the underneath stuff and the stuff that Iowa's too deep zone will give you if you're willing to just dink and dunk and go down the field. Rocco Beck and Iowa State were really effective against Iowa doing that in the game this year. Should have been more. Um, yeah, and if I they, those two teams played again, I'm glad that they don't. 
frankly. With if Iowa, Iowa State, State would have just transition. gotten out of its stubborn offensive mindset, they should have beaten Iowa and Ohio, but they didn't, and they kept yeah, I, running. I won't argue team. with you. Look at Penn State. Penn State has a you know a ton of talent. They played one of the most patient games I've ever seen a team play against an Iowa defense, and they dominated because they did not deviate from their plan. They put money in the bank over and over and over again, and Iowa's offense couldn't do crap, and Iowa's defense got worn down. And I agree with you. This defense is not elite, but they're really good. They're probably going to be a top 25, top 30 defense by the time the end of the year comes, unfortunately. Iowa puts way too much pressure on the defense and special teams because their offense is an unmitigated disaster and has been for multiple years. So, yeah, do you feel great about Purdue? I don't. Do you feel great about Wisconsin? No, I'd probably put that as an L down in Penn right now. Do you feel great about Rutgers later in the year? I don't. Do you feel great about Illinois? I don't. Minnesota, man, you know they want to win that game. I don't. Minnesota. But Minnesota, they don't look – to me, they're they're off from recent years. But none of these games are games that I would put in Penn as an Iowa victory because Iowa's offense is so inept. Deacon Hill probably isn't going to be a 60% completion guy. He is going to throw more deep balls, but he might, you know, he's probably going to have a few more turnovers. They need to play Cooper DeGene at quarterback. I'm serious. I mean. Think about the juice that would give the fan base this everything. What do you have to lose? What do you yeah, have to lose? I wouldn't lose? do that. Yeah, you wouldn't? I wouldn't do that. He, he, no, because he doesn't, he doesn't have the arm based. I, I doubt he's going to have the arm strength to complete a pass to the far side hash on a down and out. I, I just. He can't. I don't think he can make this. Those. Deacon Hill is going to complete forty percent of his passes on the year, John. I'm not saying. I listen. I'm not saying that he's elite. He just happens to be what they have, which again, an indictment of their quarterback development. Joe you. Labis started the bowl game, and he's still not not doing it. Run and the I fucking wishbone that, and let Cooper DeGene play. I'm telling you, at least your fan base would be like, "Well, they're trying something new." Yeah, you can't you can't install the freaking bone, dude. One week to the next, they should have done it last year. I said that during I, the Ohio. I, I tweeted that during the Ohio State game last year. I said, "Put Cooper DeGene in a quarterback. It cannot be worse than this." I don't care how many plays they it, have. It, it can. It can. It can. I mean, wait, wait, wait. I guess it just comes down to the degree of what is it? What does a three and out look like? Do you go three and out <laughs> with the bone, or do you go three and out with what the fuck they've been doing for twenty five years? I'm just saying, like I just—it's shades of three and out. Which kind of three and out do you like? Cooper DeGene at quarterback. It would make me want to watch Iowa. Yeah, for a quarter. You're like, oh god, Miller <laughs> was right. This is horrible. <laughs> this is horrible. You know, it, they had six drops last week. I think at least. And oh my god, you know, that... I think I think he, I, I talked about this on the Sunday uh, post game podcast. Uh, Deacon Hill, he he has nothing but a fastball. So did Spencer Peters, by the way. He really never developed a changeup. Deacon Hill's going to need to take some mustard off that. But like a few of those drops, those receivers, they didn't get their hands up in time mm-hmm. to get the ball. The ball got onto them so much faster and quicker than it did when Cade McNamara was throwing to him. And Cade McNamara's been throwing to him for months and months and months all summer yeah, it's uh, during fall camp. And so there'll be an adjustment period. I think they'll adjust to Deacon and his fastball. But yeah, man, this is I'm I'm not really looking forward to the rest of the they year. They didn't have like, um the Deacon Hill go on that, that trip to California where they ran the route. They did all the timing routes and I don't I don't think so. Uh, it's a bummer. I don't think so. Um, but you know, I, I was really uh, a lot more interested in Fran McCaffrey's uh, press conference the other day than I thought I was gonna be. Um and I'm I super haven't seen excited. It yet. John, I'm I'm really uh, behind on that. What what did you take away from it? No, I just just generally like I I don't have a lot of optimism for this year's Iowa basketball season being any better than like sixth, fifth, fifth to seventh. You know, kind of you the think same be thing. That good? Um, no, I mean like that. Fifth to seventh is like average. Seventh is right in the middle. God, I, I mean, thought they were going to be worse. Here's I, I think I actually think now after listening to Fran. Before before Fran's press conference, I thought it was probably seventh to tenth. Okay, I actually think they might have something with you know Brock Harding. I think is gonna gonna make an impact. Um, you know Owen Freeman. I think can give them. I think this team's gonna be a better defensive team and a better mm-hmm. rebounding team, maybe a tougher team. 
they still have the problems they have. They don't have a lot of players <clears throat> that can that can attack the rim and score off the dribble, but also then, you know, dish. To be able to be an effective passer off the dribble, you have to be able to score off the dribble because if you know, think back to Mike Cassell. Duke could get by people. He just couldn't finish. If you finish, then you're going to draw more attention, which helps you with spacing, which gives Peyton Sanford and Iowa shooters an opportunity. I think this team, you know, they have, I think they're better on, maybe better, a little bit better on the shooting front this year than they were a year ago uh, with the younger Sanford coming in. But I, I think they're going to be better. And just the things, the way that Fran talked about it, and I know Fran is the most hyperbolic coach you can have. Everything's amazing, fantastic, sensational, elite. Not elite, that's TJ, TJ Fleck. But just I just think that this group has something. So, But again, I'm still talking about a team that's a first weekend exit in the NCAA tournament if they even get in it. I'm still talking about a 8, 9, 10, I, 11 seed. I don't know yeah. enough about them yet, full disclosure, but if they could get to the tournament, I feel like that'd be a huge win for Fran this year. Just kidding. And that's what I felt like last year, and they did. But it's like two years in a row, a huge win just getting to the tournament isn't a huge win. You should be in the tournament seven out of every ten years at a minimum. And you should make it to a sweet 16 at least once a decade. And Iowa still has Iowa's problems that have plagued them forever. They can't get athletes at the guard position. Now, that doesn't mean that Tony Perkins isn't one, and that doesn't mean that Brock Harding isn't athletic, and it doesn't mean that Dante Bowen isn't, you know, maybe it maybe it's him. Maybe, maybe he makes that step. So I'm I'm optimistic. Let me see it for a little bit. My guess is I'll probably revert to my mental mean of like, yeah, this team just entertain me all winter long when it's cold and I can't go outside. And then I say the same for, for Iowa women's basketball, and this is going to be an unpopular opinion. Um, I don't know that they'll make it to the Sweet 16. I don't know that this team is going to be – I don't know that they'll be a top you – know, let me say this. I don't know that they'll be a top four seed. Okay, everyone's got them in the preseason top 10. I get it. That's what preseason polls are about. But the loss of Monica Cezano, mm-hmm. I just think people are glossing over that. She's a 2,000-point scorer. She's one of the best uh, scorers in the post I've ever seen in the women's game, and that's on the heels of Megan Gupsis. And you're talking about people shooting 65 to 70% field goal percentage. She was known for not even having a dribble to score. And, and Caitlin Clark knew – Caitlin Clark is going to have so much more attention this year than she's ever had. God bless her. I think her turnovers will be higher. I think her shooting percentage will be lower. She'll still be box office, still be fun to watch. And I'm going to watch every one that I can. I'm going to watch most of the games. I'm really looking forward to it. I just feel like some people are setting themselves up for disappointment, thinking that I was going back to the Final Four, and you need a lot of luck for that to happen. Maybe one of the post players emerged. Maybe it's post by committee. Either way, um, I just don't think they're going to – I think they're going to struggle to have a top four seed. I don't necessarily disagree. Let's um, we got to wrap things up because I got a ten o'clock here. Um, but I did want to mention Iowa Speedway getting the NASCAR Cup race. I know right. this isn't really your wheelhouse, but this is a, this is a big deal for the state. Um, this has been a thing that I I was worried, John, like five years ago. I thought they were going to shut down the track. Like I, I thought it was over, and NASCAR since the pandemic has really seen television ratings skyrocket. Like there's this whole like new group of fans. I'll bet you money, John, this thing will sell out in a day. Hmm. This, yeah. this NASCAR cup race at Iowa speedway. I, I think it's going to be a really great thing. My, my buddy Connor over at always race day has done a lot of um, in-depth stuff on this. We're not going to, we're not going to do that, but I did want to at least mention it because this could be a really uh, cool thing where it, you know, it ter- economically, all that stuff for the state where I I think that Iowa will sell it out. And I think that this could become like a, not a staple on the NASCAR schedule. That's not accurate. But if you're, um, the fact that they did this is a, is a great sign. They've been doing the IndyCar thing with Hy-Vee the last couple of years and people have been filling it in. NASCAR owns this track. I think that they are in tr- Chicago doesn't have a race now like it used to. The fact that they are moving this thing here now is a is a really good sign. So I'm I'm fired up about this. This made my yeah. entire week. 
I, I'm happy for the people in Iowa. They're like anybody that's been in in Iowa media longer than ten years has interviewed Rusty Wallace about <laughs> oh, yeah. this, and we've all and we've all asked him this question at one point in time or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see that happen, a lot of people put in a lot of work for a long time to have this happen. So I'm glad for Iowa, good economic impact for the community. I'm always, um, you know, happy when the people of Iowa are happy, um, you know, as long as it's not a political thing. And I think that this is great. And yeah, I mean, if people show up, turn out, sell it out, that's what NASCAR wants. And that's probably going to, you know, give them a really good chance of maybe it happening again. Do you feel that this is going to be an ongoing annual thing if, if they, if they do it right, do you think it's a good chance that I was now on the circuit? I do. And the reason I say that is because they've, there's a lot that goes into it, but NASCAR used to have the biggest problem it had was there was a different entity um, that owned 70% of the tracks. Mm-hmm. NASCAR didn't have control of it. Well, NASCAR has recently purchased these tracks in that entity. So now it has actual flexibility over its schedule it can well that one's not drawing very well okay we'll take one race from there like in in racing in my opinion uh and i i have dirt track promoters all over the country have told me this they don't like having the big events every single year mm-hmm. or or twice a year i guess would be the best way to right. put it because most people will be like oh i can't make it to this one i got a kid's sporting event but i'll make it to the next one and then something comes up and whatever if you have two events at a at a track, it generally doesn't draw as well. If you have one, people make it like part of their. Yeah, I will make Super this. Bowl. Yeah, this will be my summer vacation every year. I'll take my camper there for an entire week, and this will be on my on my schedule. With the IndyCar thing, like it, I'm not as big of an IndyCar fan, but as you noted, this has been the thing ever since they opened that track. I think in 2008. This is all anybody's asked about, and it's finally mm-hmm. coming. And I, I think it's going to be abs- the fact that they're putting an Xfinity race the day before it means it's a big weekend, right? That that's what that means. Like they used to just give they would give Na- Iowa the Xfinity race on the same weekend as like a Cup race at somewhere else, so we wouldn't get any of the top guys. They're putting their chips in here on Iowa, so that makes me think that this is a long-standing thing i hope so is there is, is there another is there another track on the circuit that has the you know the you know the big league boys the winston cup guys i'll just call it the winston cup here winston cup level that is similar to the iowa speedway or is this going to be a unique layout bankment uh there's, type track? there's one other richmond and that's what iowa speedway was kind of modeled after richmond like that a sister track, which okay. It's another thing too, like NASCAR's learned over the last 10 years that when, you know, Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon in the sport changes in 98, right? And there's this big rivalry and TV ratings are through the roof, then Earnhardt dies. And what it learned was they have way they grew way too fast. Like all of a sudden these tracks start popping up in Chicago Spitting and spitting out every and, other mile and a half oval, yes. every other freaking place. Yeah. And now what they've learned is they need diversity within their schedule for people to care. So they've added road courses. They've and Iowa is a very unique track. I mean, there's only a couple of them like this in the entire country. That's why yeah, and all the drivers like it. love it. The drivers love racing there. And they've been pounding that pavement for a really long time. So I I think this will be here to stay. Because I, I think it'll be a really good race. It's going to get a great TV rating because it's Father's Day weekend at like 5 o'clock at night. So you're going prime time. Mm. So it's going to get a good rating. And on top of it, it's going to be sold out. So you put it all together. And I think this is a rep- recipe for... And let's be honest, Des Moines market is growing. Like We have more people that live here than did 10 years ago, which isn't a great mm-hmm. thing for rural Iowa. But it's a it's a, it's a fact. I mean, 10 years ago, I had a cornfield in my backyard. Now I can't see anything. It's just houses everywhere. Right. So we're, we're growing as a community and like that probably has an impact too. You're just drawing from so many more people. Do you think Des Moines growth is more from a, uh, an agrarian to city move or because of the, just the explosion downtown? I mean, Des Moines is a financial insurance hub. Yeah. Do you think it's in banking? I, just, I mean, my friends I, that I, I talk to in rural Iowa, they can't get jobs back there. I, like a lot of them want to live in rural Iowa, but they they just can't. They can't get right. jobs. I, I'm like that. I would love to live in my hometown, but I mean, I can't. 
My wife's a veterinarian. She's a surgeon. Like they don't do surgeries on their dogs. They shoot them. You know, like it's just that's that's another form of surgery. <laughs> it's a true no, but that, that's the. I mean, I when you talk to rural Iowans, like if you're not in agriculture, there's just. I mean, the there's just yeah. not as much stuff for them to do. This yep. is a reality. All right, I gotta yeah. go. Enjoy Colorado. That's good. When are you getting right, back? Uh, Sunday. All right. Back Sunday in time to uh, take my daughter to Ariel Silks and then uh, watch a little football. Oh. And the Prince will be back this week. We had a hard one last week. Uh, the Eagles crushed my spirit. Shouldn't have happened. Um, you don't take divisional to... favorites, John. Come on. Don't you, hey, you, you don't tell me what to take on the parlays. <laughs> you told me two weeks ago not to take the Bills or the Dolphins and both covered by 30 points. All right. Last week, I had to claw and fight and chase in the late window to get back to break even, and I did. So, so you'll this week, actually like this. Um, I have a couple of entries into the Circa Millions where you pick mm-hmm. five games against the spread every week. Hassel and yeah. I are currently like 1,200 out of 6,000. Jason okay. Luch and I, our entry is currently tied for like 209th out of 6,000. Wow. So we're we're that's in really, the mix. That's, that's We're great. in the game. Dude, we're, if you win a million, that'd be awesome. 13, 6, and 1 right now. So we're, you kind of just got to tread water in those. It's like the 5 and 0 weeks are great, but you can't have a bunch of 0 and 5 weeks. You just if you, go 3 if and you, 2 every week, a 4 and 1 right. here. That's what you got to shoot for. You know what? If you want, you can run your picks past me. I'll, I'll give them my blessing or give them my veto. No, wait, I'll let you're, you know. you're too big of a public Joe. Like, no, I, I truly believe in the NFL. I truly believe it. And I think this is why I'm better at betting on the NFL than I am in college. All you do is you you look at where the money is, you go against the public, and whatever your gut tells you on a game, if you so like if you watch the Dolphins score 70 the week before, bet against them the next week. Because I took the over. <laughs> I took the over I was the on next, the bill in the next so week's I, game. I hit that. So but listen, dude, let's compare success rate this year. I'm 13, you six, and, and one against the number. I'll, I'll, I'm I'm ta- I'm talking about like overall bankroll. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna beat me there. All right, I get am, out of uh, here. Yeah, twelve X. That's all we gotta say. We'll see you. Ta- talk to me in December. I'll be broke by then. <laughs> He's John Miller. I'm Chris Williams. Hope you enjoyed it. Take care. Iowa everywhere.